everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Zachary Keeves with Zach Ventures, and he's here to share how he's acquired over 150 rental properties and is consistently buying eight to 10 houses per month. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Turing, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only app you'll need for wholesaling. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires, 100 millionaires. So if you have something you're interested in, let's connect on Instagram. And if you're excited for today's show, please give me some ways, give me some thumbs up. And <laughs> I don't charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value today, please tell a friend. You can share this episode right now, tag a friend below, or tell your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And guys, I am speaking at We Live in a couple of days. So if it's not too late to sign up. And I promise you, if you come and you watch my presentations, You'll make 100000 more in 2019. I guarantee you that. Uh, and please put my name down when you register on, the, register on the website so I can give you some dedicated one-on-one coaching time. And don't forget, this is a live show. Please post your questions for Zach to answer. He'll be happy to answer them for you. You ready? Let's go. All right. Uh, first question, real simple. What got you into real estate? Yeah, great question. Um, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to come on the show, and thanks for Pace. Uh, Morby and beautiful wife, uh, Laura, for the introduction. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I woke up in real estate. My grandfather was a developer. I'm a Midwest guy. Uh, I used to travel around with him, uh, you know, a few times and see his developments and, mm-hmm. you know, was uh, always admired his passion and entrepreneurship. My father also an entrepreneur and attorney. My other grandfather's all uh, entrepreneurs. So I learned in life early on, you always want to kind of work for yourself, you know, build your own fortune. Um, I was living out in Australia and I was going to start my own financial consulting business. I didn't know what it was. I'm an entrepreneur, like I said, at heart. Mm-hmm. And I got an email from my cousins uh, about a joint venture opportunity to come out to Arizona um, to buy distressed assets in 2002. And I looked at the email. I said, you know, talk to me about the opportunity. What's the upside potential? And made a decision to fly from Australia um, to Arizona and uh, started, you know, nine days later, licensed and, you know, hit the ground running. Nine days later, licensed. Nine, came out on August 5th, 2002. Nine days later, went through the crash course, very focused, got my license, and started hitting the ground. That's awesome. Yeah, I tell everyone, like, I got licensed in two and a half weeks. You can't do that today. No. Uh, but, yeah, nine days, that's that's really impressive. Yeah. Uh, okay, so talk to me about your first deal. So it was 2002, you said? 2002, came out, um, had capital, because my cousins were some of the largest buyers in uh, the St. Louis area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, a huge bonus. Um, I remember, you know, uh, I was reading newspapers and looking at classifieds, and I saw this deal down in South Phoenix on Rozier in uh, 24th Street. You know, tough neighborhood, 2002, uh, drove down there, you know, ghetto, um, bust open the front door. There's some bums living there with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, garbage disposal, whatnot, lighting fires. <laughs> and uh, I remember $60,000 block home, figured you can't go wrong. Right. So I bought the deal. I think I made about 15 grand. And uh, it was kind of the whole start of the career. It was actually with John Rosenberg and Bob Levine through Love Rose Real Estate. I don't know if you remember oh, those guys. Do you know they're, those they're guys? commercial, aren't they? They're commercial, but they have a, a residential wing. Oh, I didn't and, know they had a residential uh, wing. Yeah, so just randomly. It was the first. In fact, I ran into John the other day. Small, That's funny. Small world. So I have a couple of um, personal records, and those records are lowest single family home sold, and all three of them back to Rosier. Wow. Uh, we got, we got a, a 17, a 21, and a 23. And that was back in the REO days, right? Working for Bank of America. And you go into these properties and wow. Yeah. Land value, <laughs> land value. But I mean, at that, even those prices, we go back and buy those a hundred times over today. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. So uh, you, you get started, you bought that property off Rozier. What were some of the early struggles? Um, really just kind of learning the business. You know, I was fortunate my uncle was out here um, and my cousin joined us and we started uh, again, um, finding good crews and reliable people. Um, finding deals is always the struggle, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. all about the acquisition. So, I mean, there's no secrets. Back in the day, it was about door knocking and looking at distressed deals and making phone calls and just grinding. I mean, it's really, obviously, the, the business has completely materialized into more, you know, cold calls and sitting behind a desk today. But I'm still a huge advocate for going in the field. People ask me, hey, how, you know, what do you do to get involved in, the, in these deals? I said, go out in the field, look for anything distressed, knock doors, talk to people, get yeah. out, get out of your car, you know, create a presence. And, and just ask the question, you know, is this distressed? Do you want to sell? I'm a cash buyer. Right. You know. So that first property, was that a flip? That was oh. a flip. Okay. Yeah. All the properties back in the day were all flips. We didn't really have a buy and hold strategy. Mm-hmm. It was more about turning those dollars back okay. in the day. So you were flipping for how long before you got a change in strategy? 
Sure. I mean, basically with the joint venture with the cousins and the family, we mm -hmm. did it uh, from 2002 to basically till the market imploded in 2007. Yeah. So it was a wild ride. You know, we did first year 60 deals, the next year probably 100, 150. Even at the time, we had a company called 1-800-NO-AGENT, um, which was our platform. We were spending $50,000, $60,000 a month on advertising. Right. And we competed with, uh, you know, Homevestors guys, the mm -hmm. We Buy Ugly Homes, and, and those guys, which were all buddies now. I mean, at that point, you drive out to house, and you'd see the We Buy Ugly Homes cars and seven <laughs> other buyers sitting there with the suitcases and yeah. who's going to get the deal i mean mm -hmm. it was a massive competition and, and it was a lot of fun we befriend each other oh you got that one sell it to me for five thousand more you know right. you create that camaraderie but of course you want to be that's brilliant you guys still own that no no we our, our joint venture was done when the market imploded yeah. and, the, and that's it today i actually spend zero dollars on advertising so it's all about relationships i've cultivated from you know the early days to today that yeah. i still have agents and wholesalers and you know you right name it, and we'll so. definitely get to that yeah so uh, so it imploded, right? And at that point, did you own any rentals yet? No, I had zero, zero rental properties at that okay. time. Okay, so then you, you, you shifted gears. Yep. What happened in 2007? 2007, and, and you, I believe you started in 2005. I started, I started 2007, so you yeah. started 2007. So the really, I mean, you were just watching prices tank. I kind of sat on the sidelines saying, what are we gonna do? Everyone's you know pulling out of the market. Mm -hmm. Banks don't wanna loan any money. There's a lot of fear. One of my favorite quotes, Warren Buffett says, when people are fearful, be greedy. When people are greedy, be fearful. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of fear. Uh, again, there's no capital available. No banks wanna loan anything. So I kind of sat on the sidelines for a few years and traveled the world to kind of figure out what do I wanna do? I mean, you can't really, you can start dollar cost averaging, but when is it gonna hit a bottom? Mm -hmm. And I remember strategically in 2009, I'm sitting there having some Vietnamese food, my favorite restaurant talking to my buddy and he's like, Man, this real estate, you can buy those same houses you were buying for, you know, 150000 or 200000 are now trading at $30,000. Right. Start investigating rents and realize, geez, these cap rates are serious. You talk it's about astronomical. Yeah, it's astronomical. So I said, okay. So if I go out, raise my own capital and, and pick up some money and uh, pick up some deals to flip or hold, mm -hmm. you're getting a 20%, 25% return. These are, uh, you can put 25,000, you're putting more money in rehab than you are buying the house virtually. Yeah. And if you're in a house for 50,000, you're renting out for a thousand, there's uh, you know 20% yield, pretty solid. Yeah. So all of a sudden that was the buy signal. Again, Warren says, hey, people are fearful. No one is even writing offers, all the REO agents. Hey, any offers? No, great, submit 25. Well, you got the deal. I was buying everything and anything I could get my hands on. Yeah, and we've had multiple clients that we were working with at that time that we were writing offers, buying houses for like 30, 40K. It's like, mm -hmm. man, I wish at that time I was liquid. And so I know the next recession, gotta Hope, be ready for that. Hopefully that's not coming anytime soon. But not anytime yeah, soon, but it's gonna happen eventually. It might. Uh, so how did you raise your capital? Pace wants to know, how did you raise your capital at that time? Sure, 2009, um, I've always had, uh, been a transparent, good business person, never mm -hmm. screwed anybody in my life. In fact, I got burned a lot of the capital that I made in, from 2002 to 2007. I invested in uh, alternative markets. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, you know, it didn't pan out for me. But every, there's always a, a lesson from you know every experience, and that is you know about documenting um, any investments, doing you know getting deeds of trust, being first positions. And at that point, I was more you know laissez-faire with the money and hands off. So mm -hmm. when I went out and I, I called every wealthy investor I've ever met, or, or friends of family, or friends, hey, I have this opportunity. Here's the yields. We're going to go 50-50. So I did what's called OPM, other people's money. Mm -hmm. um, they gave them first deeds of trust on the property, just one and one. And I said, hey, first opportunities that come up, you commit. We're going to utilize this capital in this deal. I'm going to provide full reporting and transparency again. And the goal is to flip and turn those dollars. And that way I would just go out and get as many deals as I could. And in the interim, the capital was coming. All right. And so that's how basically it transpired. Just one off, you know, from individuals, friends and family. And anyway, I mean, I would be in Aruba over Christmas. I'd meet some wealthy people, write their names down on the beach, fly out to Toronto, fly out, you know, to Michigan. Mm -hmm. I flew to New York. Wherever I could go, where I could get a, a lunch meeting and know somebody was accredited investor that had you know disposable income, I want to get in front of you, and I'm going to show you the opportunity. I'm going to show you my background and lever all the contacts and and uh, everything I've done in the past. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so you started buying in 2009. So you took two years off. Yeah. Started buying in 2009. Yeah. And then has that been consistent throughout? Has there been any shifts or adjustments since then? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously pricing's been a major shift from then. You can no longer <laughs> oh, buy yeah. thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar deals. Um, but what happened was um, kind of serendipitously, right place, right time, and just kind of taking the risk. Um, started buying, and then I get a knock on uh, my door. Literally, people calling me saying, "Hey, do you want to sell some of these homes?" We started building sizable portfolio with you know other investors' money mm -hmm. and my own capital. 
and a company represented a billion dollars. Oh, we're gonna buy a billion dollars. Turns out my old neighbor in DC Ranch um, was uh, one of uh, Jay from Colony Capital, Jay McGee. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, I'm running this company and we wanna buy 20, 30 year homes. I'm like, show me this money. I need a proof of funds, you know, billion dollars <laughs> seems a little excessive. Yeah. So I remember I went down in their office, the first hedge fund that came to me said, yeah, we're gonna pay X for these, you know, 20 homes, 25 properties. And if things go good, we'll buy another 20 and another 20. And then more hedge funds are knocking. And it was crazy, 2011-ish. Um, so I started selling into the market with the irrational frenzy of the hedge funds. Mm-hmm. So everything, the dynamics change. You Before you just buy single family homes and say, well, what kind of rent are you getting? When people started throwing around cap rates on single family homes, that was a major transitional time period. And you're like, cap rates, isn't that used for commercial? Not right. really single family. So yeah. really the whole REITs and, and these private you know, trusts coming in and buying hundreds of thousands of doors really changed the dynamics of the market. It also made it really exciting if you were you know, early mover um, right. adopter. Yeah, and that's around, around the same time you were quoted, I think it was the street, right? you were talking about, uh, about the, the institutional Investors coming through. Yeah, in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we had, um, I, I remember doing these distressed properties, right? Negotiating short sales. And I was like, okay, let me see your proof of funds. Right. $86 million. Like, could you not just put like a million dollars right. <laughs> into a different bank account? Exactly. You're like, these guys are for real. Let's yeah. do this. And it was fun. I mean, basically, they said, hey, we love what you're doing. Um, can you just use the same paint color, same stuff? So I'd have stuff in escrow basically pre-sold, mm-hmm. you know, to these funds saying, we'll take it, just finish it the same way you've done the other ones. We've done inspections. And part of the way that I differentiate my business model in terms of my rentals and everything moving forward is to spend money to make money. There's a lot of people out there and their models, let's do some lipstick, mm-hmm. let's get in and out. You're not gonna pass any inspections. You're not gonna build a good brand. You're not gonna right. have, you know, a good reputation, etc. So I'm a, of the believer to spend money to make money. Sure. Um, and, and it works. So. Did you, so you, at that time you had, you had partnered with people, yep. right? And you sold off these properties to these hedge funds. Did you then liquidate all those properties? Liquidated all the partnership stuff. So I eventually, every, you know, every couple partner deals, you had enough to buy your own. Mm-hmm. Do some more, you buy your own. Anything that came in, you did your own. Um, I was uh, uh, lucky enough that I came across one large individual family. Mm-hmm. For, didn't even know them before. And I asked the question, which is my big thing is always talk to people. Who do you know with capital? Who wants to invest in real estate mm-hmm. or buy notes? Or you know, who's got liquidity or wants diversification? And so I did a cross sell with a realtor and she, she was in a high net worth community. I said, who, who do you know? I know you know people. She didn't know much about notes. She introduced me to uh, a family and uh, a guy flies out to see me. And I remember I pick him up and uh, Ford Explorer Sport. I don't drive around some fancy cars or, you know, pretend something I'm not. Picked him up, gave him the lowdown of my business. I don't even think I cleaned the car. I didn't know much about the guy, but I'm like, let's spend the day. You want to come meet me? Come mm-hmm. meet me. Drive him around. He's like, I love you. I like your business model. I like your ethics. You're just, you know, salt of the earth and, and straightforward and transparent. I want to invest in your business. I'm like, well, I just really want to sell the notes. He goes, I'll buy all these notes, but I want to invest in your business. I'm like, well, how much are you talking? He goes, well, let's just start with, you know, half a million. At that time, that was pretty good. I can get you, you know, six properties or whatever it was. I'm yeah. like, okay. And then we uh, immediately in that first month, we sold, you know, six deals. He's like, go to a million, go to two million, you know? So I was lucky enough to come across one really large guy mm-hmm. to do those deals with, but ultimately, um, you know, paid everybody off and kind of just run my own show now. So now, so when was the exact day that you went fully uh, uh, um, on your own? Sure. I mean, I I was on my own, except for the fact that um, 100% of the financing, if I get huge deals and I want to bring somebody in, I have that. Mm -hmm. And I'll continue to engage um, those high net worth families and other people that invest with me because you never know when major opportunities come around. I'm not a greedy person. I don't say, hey, let me just get every single deal. But in terms of building my own portfolio was probably around, you know, 2000, well, starting really in 2009 up, I, you know, started accumulating and just isolating those deals for myself Mm -hmm. um, in terms of buy and hold. Um, But really 100% autonomous, you know, probably in the last couple of years. Okay. So in 2009, so Pace wants to know again, 2009, did you start, when you started all over, you were all by yourself? Solopreneur? All by myself, yeah. Okay. Um, So uh, Colin Farrell wants to know, are there any tips for developing connections with acquisition reps for hedge funds? Um, Yeah, I mean, basically you can go, there's all public information. You see what, um, and large cash buyers, and you're seeing the the homes that come in through there, the Progress Residentials, the Cerberus, Mm -hmm. all those guys, there's the local offices in those areas. I'd literally just go right into those offices. If you have the deals, Mm -hmm. then you're a huge asset to them. So you can come in and say, it's all about getting the deal. When you have a deal in hand, everything else will follow. We all know that. So everyone's like, hey, nothing else matters. Everyone says, do I need the capital first? 
tie up the deal and then everything else will fall into place. So I would say, come in there, build those relationships, but they'll want to talk to you, especially if you could say, hey, I can bring you X amount of deals or what is it that you want? I can be an asset to you and understand right. their business model. So you got, was it 150 rentals? 150, yeah. Okay, so the 150 rentals, you're managing them yep. yourself. Yes. That sounds like brain damage. Like, talk sure. to me about that. Yeah, everyone <laughs> says, how many people? I have a full-time bookkeeper. Um, I'm an assistant, you know, whatnot, mm -hmm. and I have full-time handyman, basically two right now, mm -hmm. and I have great crews. I run six crews pretty much full-time. Okay. The key uh, component is making uh, the payment streamlined. Nowadays, you could do, you know, Zelle. There's all these uh, online apps, but mm -hmm. I'm a I'm an old-school guy. I give everyone deposit slips. You go to Bank of America. I don't accept cash. I'm a fully reporting and transparent company, which comes into play for, you know, the future in terms of uh, leverage and banks. They want to see a lot of these small guys go out and collect cash, and they say, let me see your, your, your deposits. Yeah, you know, schedule exactly. I want to see everything. So I, I hey, you want to pay? Great. You want to pay cash? Deposit in my Zach Venture. So everyone can deposit in uh, the bank, uh, fully reporting um, in terms of streamlining and rent. So it's all coded. It runs through. The bookkeeper gives them the credit. So there's none of this, hey, let's show up at the office. Let's, you know, there's none of this hands-on stuff. Um, and I, like I talked about before, building a good quality product. I mean, again, I think I differentiate myself in the sense that I spend good money on these homes. I'll put in $30,000 on a Maryville home, for example, mm -hmm. but most people want to spend 10 or 12. We'll do the plumbing. We'll do the AC. We do the roofs. We do dual pane windows um, to build a durable long-term product to mitigate um, future calls. If, if a water heater is on the brink, just replace it. The guys are already out there. It's a better economies of scale to spend the money up front mm -hmm. and again, mitigate those brainless calls. You're gonna spend more money going back and tracking and pulling up tile, fixing plumbing when you can do it right the first time. When it's vacant. Right, when it's vacant and just get it done. You're not disturbing tenants and headaches, etc. So again, I mean, if somebody needs something, they can text me and it's all about those relationships and trust. They can you text know. you, not even your assistant. They can text me. Anyone wow. can call me or text me anytime I'm available. Uh, so I saw, uh, I was going through your Facebook and your, and your Instagram. So you got, is it Jones? Buddy Jones. Buddy Jones. Talk to me about Buddy Jones. My dog? <laughs> or, or the collector. The collector. That guy looks no, very. That, that was really a satire. <laughs> okay. he's, he's a he's a buddy. He's actually uh, he's actually gonna be a future tenant of mine. He's uh, okay. a brother of one of my tenants, and in fact, yeah. that tenant invited me to his barbecue. Great guy. Yeah. Um, and so that was just a joke. We really don't use muscle. I follow the laws and yeah. uh, you know do formal evictions when necessary. Very fortunate that again by having access to people, it's all about retention. So I'm always willing to work with somebody in terms of hey Zach, I don't have the full rent. Great. What do you have today? Let's work out a plan. Text me. I'll, I'll give that information to the bookkeeper. Mm. As long as you abide on that, I'll work on payment plans. People neglect the fact that it's an expensive turnover. You know, say, oh, well, I can get more money or, you know, you're difficult to work with. There's always going to be difficulties in anything. All right. Um, but it's about maximizing the situation at hand. Absolutely. So at which point then did you start buying houses to flip? I still do. So, I mean, I, I can look at stuff. Fortunately, now I'm a very stabilized mm. uh, company. So I can take a home and part of my exit strategy is put it up for sale or for rent. Um, obviously, the stuff that works in the 300 under is much better long-term rentals because the yields are better. You start getting into the half a million, six and seven hundred thousand. There's kind of an inverse relationship in terms of rents and yields. Absolutely. So I stick to basically the 300 unders. If the home's more expensive, which I'm going to buy one actually with pace today, uh, thankfully, um, you know that's going to be a flick because yeah. that doesn't make sense to rent. All right. So what year? Did you start flipping? I've or always flipping been flipping along the way. So okay. the flip. So anyone who gets in this business, people like the advice to say, hey. Yeah. The flipping is great because it's a guarantee, you know, you're making those money, you're turning, you're, your highest yield. Of course, you're paying 40%. Now my tax advisor says, stop flipping, keep retaining, and then as things get, you know, seasoned, sell, you know, with the 40% versus the 20%. Mm -hmm. But again, you never want to 100% make a tax, you know, decision, a business decision on a tax implication. All right. Talk to me about that. What do, what do you mean by that? Okay, so what I mean is if, if I go buy a home t tomorrow and pay $150,000 and I can rent it for you know $1,400 or $1,300 and get an 8 to 10 cap, which is still pretty good, unlevered. I always evaluate everything on a cash-on-cash -cash basis. Mm -hmm. So if I go and buy that deal and now I, I can put in 10 grand, let's just say, 150, I'm in at 160. If I sell it for 180, I really make about maybe 14 or $13,000. After I pay 40% in taxes, I make eight grand. Not the best of deals. But if I rent that out for a year, and let's assume you know, a few points of appreciation, something moderate, mm -hmm. that home's worth maybe 185 or 190. I'm bringing in fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars in rent, which will be a great return for an, an annualized return, mm -hmm. plus some appreciation, plus a long-term gain. That makes sense if you have the liquidity to do that deal. 
So for me, again, it, it make, on that particular instance, it's better for the long-term hold, assuming the market doesn't, there's the risk in market volatility and correction, which Absolutely. no one thinks about, but I do haven't gone through the volatility in the markets. Mm-hmm. So I always look at what's the downside risk, but conversely, hey, the 40% really kills. People say, I just made 50 grand on a flip. Well, first of all, it depends. That, that's a massive amount of money. I don't look to hit home runs, but um, if I can mitigate 40% taxes versus 20 from a long-term hold, I'm always game for that, especially if I have additional income um, available, sedentary capital to redeploy. Right. Uh, so Pace wants to know about how you maintain your, your day. How do you manage your day? What's your schedule like? It's all about the acquisitions. If someone calls me on a deal, um, no matter what, that takes precedence. So if they want me to come out there and evaluate with them, you know, uh, underwrite a deal of a lot of wholesalers like Pace, um, and, and yeah, I mean, there's a zillion of them. Hey, tell me, I'm going out to this property. What do you think you'd pay for this? Give me a ballpark. So I'll always spend the time and energy prioritizing those relationships, cultivating with people that bring me real deals to be a massive resource for them to give that first opportunity to buy. Mm-hmm. So if I say, hey, here's where I would be, it's huge because it gives them you know, that threshold of where do they need to buy? What's gonna be their spread um, with a high degree of certainty of where to acquire those homes? Mm-hmm. So it's all about the acquisitions. If I, I, every morning I like to work out, but if someone says, hey, I need you to be at an appointment at nine o'clock with me to go buy this house, I'll be at that appointment at nine o'clock. You call me yesterday, hey, you, you know, hey, we're pulling you from the bullpen, let's go. This is a great opportunity. <laughs> Anytime there's an opportunity that aligns with your business model, which is a, for me, acquiring deals and mm-hmm. building relationships, that's the priority and that's what right. you do. But otherwise, uh, I'm all about health and uh, physical fitness and, and yeah. deals. That's kind of my mantra. So I wake up and you know go to the gym, get a good mindset, and you know carries forward through the day, mitigate the stresses of managing multiple homes and you know multiple issues with tenants, etc. Right. And then you know focus on buying and seeing my crews and driving projects and just immersing myself in the deals. So you're driving the properties too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, why, uh, Sonia wants to know why do you choose the property managed versus hiring it out? Um, I like to be vertically integrated because I'm a hands-on person. For me, it's all about those relationships. Once you outsource, you know, number one, it's going to, you know, $150,000 a year uh, that you're going to outsource with some sort of management company. And there's a lot of great companies, Hopkins and ENG Real Estate and a lot of management companies that, you know, I love. But for me, again, it's all about the retention and having that personal relationship with my clients. Mm-hmm. I've gotten so many deals, thankfully, from my tenants because they know that they're like family, truthfully. You can call me anytime, Zach. I have an issue with backup. No problem. Here's my plumber, Zach. Hey, I have a question on this. Hey, I have my front. My grandma's moving to town. I mean, I get this all the time that you get that self-generating leads. I can pre-rent most of my homes way in advance. They say when you get your next home in Buckeye or in this area, three, two. I want it. Here's my price point. Wow. So that's huge. So once you outsource that, the management company is going to take those commissions and fees, etc. So for me, it's maximizing that return. But most importantly, it's about the relationships. Okay. And Laura Morby wants to know. How are you maintaining life-work balance? You know, it's a great question. Um, you know, ladies, I'm single, uh, probably because <laughs> I work too much. But there was a time where I had, you know, two phones. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you, just, you know, getting raw and real. And um, it was always about the money and the chase. And, and that was early on when I felt like that's the most important thing. But it's not. I mean, I remember a day when my dad called me. He's like, hey, do you have a minute to talk? I'm on two phones paying contractors. and I'm not really being present. And he's like, I got to tell you, um, I'm like, yeah, hurry up, dad. I'm in the middle of something. He's like, I just got diagnosed with cancer. I'm like, holy shit, I'm just an asshole. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can swear in here. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm just a dick and selfish. And what am I doing with my Mm -hmm. life? All I'm doing is chasing deals. And it kind of gives you a lot of perspective and clarity. And um, at that moment, I've just consolidated into one phone. And I just try and be present. That's what, you know, live, work, balance. Again, that's why I work out. I got a dog. Um, you know, I'd like to settle down and have a family one day, you know, a couple kids. But for right now, being single, I can be somewhat selfish and put mm-hmm. my time and energy into my health, my fitness and building the business. But uh, I recognize that it's all about being present. I like using FaceTime a lot now in terms of doing business with people because I like, again, looking them in the eye. I'm the old school kind of Midwest right. guy. Like, let's let's be present. That's what And I'm that's something that Pace is always harassing me about. He wants me to get a freaking iPhone. Right. Um, all right. So Jared Bournes wants to know how much equity you'd like to leave. Uh, home uh, percentage-wise, uh, when you're done renovating and renting it, and getting it rent ready. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, in terms of leaving, in other words, w- what you're probably trying to ask is what I'm looking for in terms of equity in the deal after I all in mm-hmm. uh, before I sell. I'd like to make at least 10% of my money. If I can't get a 10% yield, there's not 10% left in the deal net after any fees or commissions. Mm-hmm. Then to me, it's not really a good buy. So 10% cash on cash. Oh, in terms of my return or mm-hmm. equity. Well, this the question here. I, maybe Jared, you should uh, if you could re repost that. 
I'd like to get 10% return and I like at least, you know, uh, it's kind of the same. If I'm flipping it, then that's 10% equity. And if it's going to be a long-term, if I'm renting it, I could work on an 8% or even a 7% depending on how much equity is in there, right? Mm -hmm. So if I can get, someone says, hey, I'm going to rent back at below market and it's going to be a lower short-term yield, but I know that I have more equity in the deal, I'll still do the deal because I know it's offset based on the back-end equity on the flip. Absolutely. That makes sense. Right. Uh, So one thing you and I were talking about before we started, uh, was you like to do more of a consultative approach when you're talking, whether it's a wholesaler, homeowner, or whatever, talk about that. Sure. I mean, a lot of times people come out to the house, they kind of have a number in mind, or they pre-qualify the owner. Hey, if I come out today, you know, what are you looking for? And it's all about just numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, this business is consultative. It's, it's, again, going back to relationships, relationships, relationships. My relationships with my contractors, my relationships with my tenants, my relationships with my wholesalers, that's the key. Um, so when you go out and you're interfacing with sellers, which, you know, I'm not doing that much anymore, but I love to do and I'm happy to do for any wholesalers who want me to go out and buy with you, I'll be the first guy there, just give me the first opportunity to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really about understanding what um, their utility of selling is. I, I treat it like a buffet. Instead of me saying, hey, I'm going to offer you X, I say to them, what are you looking to achieve? You know, What are you hoping for? Is it money? Is it time frame? Do you need uh, timing on the back end? Let's treat it like a buffet. You want uh, salad? You want greens? Are you a vegetarian? Do you eat meat? You know, When do you want to close? Do you want me to close in a week and run back for two years? What's important to you? Mm-hmm. Do you want to leave everything in the house and not worry about cleaning it up? I mean, there's cats in here and furniture. So it's a, you tell me in an ideal world, if you can create your own buffet, what do you want? And then from there, I extrapolate what's important and put the deal together. Right. Old school negotiation, Give understanding them. the utility of the seller, digesting it and creating, um, you know, uh, a win-win situation. Right. And I think that's a really good point. A lot of people are so worried about price, so yeah. whether buyer or seller, and there's so many more pieces to the puzzle than just price. A thousand percent. When you're building those core relationships and you truly understand somebody and you can really um, meld and mold with them and, and they'll say, listen, to me, it's not even about price. I like you. I want to do business with you. I have a mm-hmm. good feeling about you. Right. And I had some other wholesalers, they offered you know $10,000 more. I just want to do business with you. I don't even like that. He seems sketchy. Okay. But there's also the realness of of qualifying your offer too. So not only when you go in there and you understand that, but commit to executing on that. So don't then make an offer where you're going to have to, I don't like this, retrade stuff and go back. If I'm out there and I give you a number, I'm never going to retrade you. My number's firm and I'm going to close. So if you bring me the deal, I'm not going to reassign. I'm not going to do, you know, any of the games. You're going to get full price, cash, no contingencies, and that's the deal, 100%. and I see, you know, again, when I was uh, stalking you before, I see pictures of you in, in hazmat suits and a big smile on your face. So talk to me about that. Sure. I mean, a lot of times people say, ah, I should do these shows. And, you know, I've always been averse to social media, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, a class clown growing up and like to have fun. That's kind of my mantra to it. Like, we're, again, we're going to do business. We're going to have some fun along the way. Um, I do these satires. I mean, I bought some hoarder houses um, and I literally went on Amazon and bought these suits and I'll go in there with my guys and start clearing stuff out, but mm-hmm. just showing people like, this is real life. Like, this is how some people live. It's unfortunate, it's disgusting, but it's amazing to turn literally trash to cash. My mm-hmm. buddy Bruce McNeilage gave give him a shout. Uh, big investor as well out in uh, in the South. And it's funny, my dad's ex-business uh, partner at his law firm, her son's a big time real estate guy and we both doing real estate just randomly. Mm-hmm. And he's like, trash to cash. And it's a great tagline. <laughs> that's so I a give wonderful a tagline. So uh, that's what we do. Literally turn this trash to cash um, and revitalize these neighborhoods and provide you know good homes for good families and good people at fair pricing. And yeah. that's kind of the deal. But again, just having fun along the way. It's disgusting. People are like, I would never touch something like that. But that's really a gold mine. I mean, that's just the nature of our business. The more distressed it is, the more value we can create through rehab, through good economies of scale. Um, that's what we do. So I, again, I like the satire in these videos and I hope we can do more videos and social yeah. media stuff, which is Absolutely. the future. Oh yeah. Having fun while doing it. Right. Uh, so, uh, John Alvarez wants to know what kind of rehab are you doing for 30 K? Like when you're doing a rehab, like right, either whether rehabbing for sale or rehabbing for rental, like what are you doing for 30 K? 30 K goes a long way, especially when you have, um, good builder relationships, good, good, good contractors, again, being vertically integrated. Um, so I get good discounts through my Home Depots, through my buddy's builder's warehouse, give them a shout. Um, we import a lot of stuff from China in big containers. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, so um, that really helps the value uh, in terms of what we're providing. So what we could do for 30K may cost somebody else 50 or 60. So in a Maryville home, 30K can go a long way. We can do all new floors, new kitchen, quartz counters, appliances, two-tone paint, interior, exterior, sometimes a roof. 
um, some basic landscaping and wow. new bathrooms and plumbing. So most people for 30K. for 30K. So that's a huge value. And that also enables me to buy deals that other people can't buy because I've got the cost down pretty much to a science. So yeah. that's huge. I mean, again. Definitely helps that you have uh, six crews. Yeah. Okay. So um, I know we talked touched on this a little bit, but I, I want to see if you can elaborate. How is your operation different than all our local friends and competitors? Um, I'm different because, you know, I'm not using hard money. Um, I don't have a big overhead. Um, I drive around in my Prius. Um, I don't have office space and whatnot, so I can afford to pay more. Mm -hmm. um, I also, as I kind of touched on before, is if someone brings me a deal, I'm not competition to them. I'm an, I'm, uh, um, I'm an asset to them right. um, because I'm the one that's going to come in there and buy it. I can help you buy it. And I, I can help you, you know, negotiate the deal. So really kind of create those synergistic relationships. But knowing that I'm not competition, again, the asset, I can come in there and pay mo more than pretty much anybody because, again, I have my costs under control. My overhead is nil. I have zero money in advertising. So when someone wants, you know, it's a tighter deal for them, they want an outlet for it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I'm pretty much a good go-to guy. And additionally, I don't retrade stuff. So I don't take your deal and then try and remarket and blast it out. And I think that that's huge. A lot of times when you're going to escrow and everything is full disclosure. And again, I'm licensed. So I'm all about keeping everything above board and doing things to, you know, the whole protocol of the industry. Um, and just that transparency. So if you're going to bring me a deal, I'm not going to go shop it 20 times and there's 40 people outside the seller's home and they're like, why are all these people coming to my house? I'm going to cancel the deal. There's 50 people looking through my windows. Mm -hmm. No, I just need to walk in at one time. Let me see it for 20 seconds and I'm going to buy the deal with 100% uh, certainty. I mean, I like to use the phrase this. Uh, I say, hey, if you order a pizza from Domino's, you pay $9.95. They deliver it. You don't need to inspect the kitchen. If the pizza's shit, you throw it away. <laughs> but if you're spending six figures or five figures or 30000 it doesn't matter and you don't have the time to walk through a property yourself for 20 seconds. I know there's people that buy on pictures. God bless you. But, you know, through experience, go out to tax records are not always right. It may not be a two bath. It may not be a three bath. It may not be 1,500 square feet. I've been in many deals. They say it's a four, two. I get out there. It's a three, two and 1,200 square feet. Or it's the opposite. You go out and it's represented 1,200. It's 1,500 square feet. Go out there. Stop being lazy. Walk the property. See it, feel it, touch it. The tangibility is key uh, and go from there. So once I get out there, I'm not bringing 100 people, just myself. Mm -hmm. I'll meet you personally. We're not going to disrupt anything. If anything, we'll enhance your existing relationship. I'll make you look good and uh, we'll buy the deal. You know, it's funny. We had one deal that we we had contracted. You know, we, we even gave the lady uh, 1,500 non-refundable earnest, right? Wow. Like based off of what we, uh, the, the conversation we had with her. And we liked the deal. And then I sold it to a flipper, wholesaled it to a flipper. Yeah. And he's like, okay, no, let me just go through the property one time. So he did. They measured it. Everything looks good. I get it. I get it. You know, he's like, based off what I see, this is good to go. Yeah. Get a text at eight o'clock at night. Hey, we have a problem. It's like, what do you mean we have a problem? Uh, when we measured it, because when whoever goes out is an appraiser, it's yeah. not uh, uh, just you know I'm gonna look at it, and see if it looks good. Like they actually go out with like a measuring tape. Right. And we're missing 400 square feet. Tax plan or the tax floor plan. It's just flat out wrong. There's no, there's nothing above the garage. So in the tax plan, there's something above the garage. You look at the picture, it's just a garage. Right. So I mean, that goes back to what you're saying. Like tax is definitely not 100% correct. 100%. I mean, it's happening multiple times, folks. I mean, again, get it on pictures, get it with a 20 second walkthrough period, whatever. But I mean, I think that's huge advice. Again, it's not like you're you're buying the pizza or a candy bar where you can throw it out. This is serious money. And if you're going to buy, even if you're going to buy a car, I'd want to test drive it. No mm -hmm. different. This is houses. You right. know, this isn't like taken lightly. So I've been in one where the guy's like, hey, I need 165 for this deal. Um, and I'm like, sounds great on paper. 1,600 square feet, North Phoenix deal, good location. I go out there. I'm like, I asked the tenant. I'm like, how big is this house? She's like, eh, 1,200 square feet. There you go. And right away, he, and I said to the wholesaler, I'll buy this deal if it's 1,600. But if it's less, let's go, let's prorate price per square foot and back engineer this deal. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't have that much room on there. And we put the deal together, but there was a significant discount. And he had to retrade the seller because it was significantly smaller. So well, just want to be careful. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Jared Barnes wants to know, what's your end game? You know, that's always a great question. I, I'm passionate to me. It's like a big game of Monopoly. There's no, you know, 82 year old that didn't wake up one day and said, God, I'm tired of having, you know, 200 rental properties. Um, keep building. I, I like my, my crews are like family and my team is amazing. 
Um, I like the engagement of the business. I'd look for some level of diversification out there and other alternative businesses, but just being an entrepreneur, I like, I love what I do. I mean, it's, it's blessed. I think there's no other business out there where you can create amazing, you know, strategic wealth in a tangible fashion where you have control um, and, and just have fun with it. You know, it yeah. keeps you engaged. So for me, you know, I, mean, I could sit there and do nothing, but you know, there's no purpose. So I, I love it. And as long as I'm continuing to have fun and to keep building the business and keep growing it. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Tam Trang wants to know, do you find any deals on MLS or is it all off market? Everything I buy pretty much is off market. Most of the time through these broker relationships and where I source my deals from, they'll bring it to me prior to hitting the MLS. They'll say to the seller, hey, I have a cash buyer. We can look at this first and always tell people, look, you can retail probably at this. Or if you don't want the headache, look, I'm looking to make 10 or 12%, whatever the number is. If is it worth it for you to sell prior to the MLS and just be done and, and not worry about inspections and disclosures and all those headaches today and the agent gets paid first um, and, and I get, you know, some equity in the property, mm -hmm. then it's a win-win. Otherwise, you know, they retail and always give someone an option. I don't have to buy your house, but if it's right. a win-win-win, let's do the deal. So yeah, most of my stuff would be a listed property or from agents or wholesalers or whatnot, but I have not bought an MLS deal in forever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I'm gonna be talking about uh, at WeLive in a couple of days is the evolution of the licensed wholesaler. So uh, I think it makes sense these days yeah. to be licensed because it gives you more options. Sure. So how has that been a benefit for you? Um, love the question. I mean, even when I had the 1-800-NO-AGENT, we were also, you know, half of us were licensed in there and mm -hmm. I'd go out to them and literally I use the analogy of a cap. I walk in and say, okay, hi, I'm a licensed agent. I think your home retail is going to be this and you want to wait 30, 60, 90 days and you know, we're going to have to do some fix up and spend a little money. And if that's the route you want to go and money's the most important, great. Let's wear the agent cap and I'll help you achieve that. I'll even bring in crews. We'll help create value, et cetera. Or listen, I know you're looking to move out of state. You just got divorced. This house is disgusting. It's not showable. You don't have the capital to improve it and turn my cap backwards. So you can physically see kind of the change. Mm -hmm. And here's what I'm willing to offer. But let's be real. I'm you know giving you straight up concrete information. Here's the value of your home. There's the MLS. Here's the comps. Nowadays you got the Zillios and Trulias and mm -hmm. anyone knows their home is worth retail or they think they know what it's worth for the most part. But right. what they're neglecting is the fix up. So me being licensed gives you a lot of outlets. Either a you can work. I don't do you outside representation but if that's the route you want to go and you can create ancillary income by just representing end users amazing or picking up buyers but i just come in with the sole purpose of buying and if i don't buy you outsource it or get a referral fee yeah but it's also again talking about the ramifications of being licensed and doing real business without you know taking advantage of anybody and, mm -hmm. and doing things above board and transparent so i to me i leverage it as um a huge benefit because people want to know that you're accountable, you're responsible. If an investor is not licensed, screw somebody. What's what's your recourse, right? You can take them to court, whatever. If I yeah. screw somebody, you're going to the board of realtors. You could lose my license. That's your longevity. So oh, yeah, there's, there's an actual consequence. Abs oh, major. Yeah. So when you tell them that, say, listen, you want to do something that does things above board and ethically and honestly and transparently. Here, we're the right resource for you. All right. Uh, so being licensed, are you doing any traditional business? Zero. I mean, every once in a while you get a buddy who wants you to represent them, of course, for free and this and that. I really <laughs> try and shave with, you know, you know how it is. And I'm like, you're so busy. It disrupts my mission, which is buying homes and, mm -hmm. you know, creating more rentals and flips. Um, you know, if it's a family member, you can't really say no and you do it. But, you know, they're always yelling at you and you're on you and you're like, whoa, I'm doing this for free. Um, mm -hmm. So I really try and shy away from that and focus on my core mission. If you get into the business, it's a great way of, you know, penetrating the business. I highly recommend doing that. And I have done traditional business. Business, mm. uh, ancillary to the acquisition side um, so I'm not opposed to it but it just uh, it, it deflects from my core competency which is acquisitions absolutely uh, what does your organization look like today I know you touched on it a little bit but let's elaborate on it yeah I mean uh, it, it's me myself and myself uh, you know it's not like some big company you know people say how many staff again and just um, just myself uh, I have good banking relationships so that was key I remember we kind of touched on this prior mm -hmm. um, not only did the hedge funds knock on your door, all of a sudden I was going to Bank of America's and local banks. Hey, who wants to loan on uh, some single family? And everyone's throwing up because they, you know, they just lost their shirts, mm -hmm. you know, in 2007. Finally, 2011, 12, you know, I get a knock. Hey, you want a line of credit? I remember I got my first line of credit on a class cross-collateralization deal of six or seven homes for like 400 grand. I'm like, this is amazing. Finally, I can get some leverage. I think it's around 6%. It real, you know, uh, yeah. at a decent rate at the time. Um, so through that, and you continue to grow the business and you add 
um, sustainable assets to the organization, you can then continue to grow through um, solid um, strategic leverage with local banks. So that's been instrumental in the mm-hmm. growth of the organization. Um, but again, it's really just having the available capital, the proper crews and the family of guys to do the rehabs. Um, so the six crews, are they on salary or? Nope, they're all independent, but I pretty much, and they can go work for anybody they want, but, and they've, some of them try to, oh, I'm gonna make more money doing this and that. Mm. And they do all very well because they're constantly busy, um, but they're all independent contractors. So I keep it super clean. No one's on salary. You know, you reap what you sow. And if you finish the house at this time and this is our contractual agreement, you get paid, you know? So that's kind of the So deal. you got an assistant, a yep. bookkeeper. Yep. These are the two, two handymen. Two handymen. Yeah, and but then the handymen are independent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, based on, hey, you do these homes, you give me the invoices, everyone gets paid on Friday. And that's my thing. I don't care if I have to work till two in the morning. Everyone's getting paid. I mean, people, a lot, a lot of people in this business, they care about how much money they're making. They kind of neglect everything else. I think it just falls into place. I think one of the key components of my success is just taking care of the people that are taking care of you, you know, and remember yeah. that this is your family and everyone's got to eat and, you know, holidays come around you take care of everybody. Um, but make sure that they get paid and, you know, you're always there for them, just like you're there. It's there amazing to me how much people uh, miss out on paying their people on time. Mm-hmm. Like how often that happens. I've never, yeah, I mean, it's, it's key. I mean, if these guys are working, you know, 12, 14 hour days, the least you can, plus you want to be on site. I mean, you can't get to the point again, talking about going out and seeing houses. Mm-hmm. Like I drive all my houses that are under construction, not my rental properties take forever, but every home that's under construction at least once or twice a week. Cause yeah. you want to be out there. You're making critical decisions. You're being with the guys, you're supporting them, you know? It's funny. Les, I did a video the other day on a uh, house on Lawrence, and right before that, I should, I should have filmed it. The guys had what's called Mexican Viagra. Mm-hmm. It's a big pot of stew, which is uh, like all this seafood. They said, ah, Zacarias, I speak Spanish. Preba la sopa. I'm so, what is this? Mexican Viagra. You know, so it's, it's about bonding with your people right. again, but it's just, it, it's a great time. So you mentioned a moment ago about cross collateralization. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, are you. Uh, implementing like the Burr model? Are you buying everything or you're, you're owning everything free and clear and just doing lines of credit on it? Like what is sure. your- So um, yeah, before the, um, the leverage situation came in, I had to use cash, um, which was great when things were $30,000. Mm-hmm. But then of course that dried up. So you need a OPM or some bank financing. So finally, when prices appreciated and banks shot, saw some stabilization in the market, now they went out there and said, hey, we've created programs for investors like yourself. So I'm buying everything with cash, um, and it could be through a line of credit or just sedentary capital from, mm. from dispositions. And then as you acquire new properties, obviously, whether it be through a line of credit or cash, they're unencumbered. So at a certain point, if you needed more capital and you have good debt to income ratio, et cetera, and you have transparent accounting, which I talked about before, building a good solid business right. with transparency and, and full deposit um, reporting, um, then the banks do absolutely want to work with you and you can continue to grow through that. So that's how it yeah, works. That's super impressive. I see there are a couple of questions that we missed. So um, uh, JL Rivera wants to know, so uh, being licensed, you have to have approval from your broker to market to homeowners. I mean, you're gonna have a, to market to homeowners, meaning on the, on the retail side? Yes, or yeah, on the, no, I mean on the, probably on the acquisition side. I'm not doing any marketing to homeowners. So if you do, then absolutely you need to represent that you're, especially if you're doing any contracts and anything that I do, whether it be a rental or an acquisition or purchase, even if it's an assignment, mm-hmm. it has to all, when in doubt, disclose. It's kind of the cardinal rule of thumb. If you have yeah. a question on it or you think it's iffy, doesn't matter, disclose. It'll keep you out of trouble. So I would always, especially if you're out there with your license and you're acquiring from a homeowner, a thousand five hundred fifty percent. I'm licensed. I'm buying for profit and loss. I give every disclosure. I'm here to take all of your equity and make it my own. No, I'm kidding. But the <laughs> point is, uh, no. You always, when in doubt, disclose a hundred percent. You don't want to get yourself in, in trouble. Um, Sam Velasquez wants to know what banks are you recommending for lines of credit? Sure. Um, I've worked with First Bank. I've worked with the Biltmore Bank, and I've worked with uh, J.P. Morgan. And lastly, I have a new bank called Sunflower Bank. They're a newer bank. They're out of Denver and I'm doing some really nice deals with them. So I Mm. I fully endorse right now, for the most part, Sunflower has been the most aggressive. Um, You can pay me later, folks. No, I'm kidding. Um, So that's, and I'm happy to make any introductions for anybody. Aggressive as in interest rate or LTV or both? Um, LTV and interest rate. You know, I think being a newer bank, they they Mm -hmm. wanna get capital on the streets and develop a nice presence. And a lot of times when you're a new player, you know, you get a little more aggressive. One thing that's nice about now is there's just tons of 
um, capital around the markets right now. I mean, there deals is. are drying up. There's a lot of people, as we know, it's harder and harder to get deals. But one thing is there's a plethora of, of capital opportunities out there. Right. Even the, the big REITs and funds have created ancillary arms of, of loans versus just acquisitions because they're getting good yields. So you're seeing 8 9%, you know, and stuff like that. And alternatively, you've got the capital funds and the Lawrence and Josh's. So I know right, right now, personally, I use MidFirst. Hmm. And we're at um, the interest rate isn't, isn't attractive at all. But what's, what's the rate? I think we're at like seven now. Uh, yeah. yeah. But what's the LTV? So the LTV on our investment properties is 60. Okay. That's also pretty low. Yeah. Which is very conservative, which is okay. Right. But that's high. I mean, I think, look, there's a lot of different ways. It depends. If you're looking, you if it depends how many homes you have, mm-hmm. you may be better depending on what your exit strategy is, right? Everyone's different. So if your exit strategy is hold this thing and pay it off in 15 years, put a long-term debt on there and get it down to five. You know, right. and probably because of the appreciation, you probably get 75% or 80% LTV. Your payment will probably go down because you can get in the fives or maybe yeah. even fours with a long-term 30 or 50. Well, 15. it's like you. We're just using it to buy properties cash. Okay. So in that respect, then it's fine. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, uh, Pace wants to know how many grams of protein you're putting in your arms. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, one thing we didn't really talk about here, uh, but I think it's super critical, is something that uh, Pace and I talked about this morning, um, the importance of relationships in um, uh, something that you ran into, something that other flippers I know have ran into is they've got an asking price. You commit to the asking price and then they're like, oh, actually, I'm still shopping it against someone else. Yeah. Talk to me about that in this, because relationships are super important in this industry. We, we, we've got, what, 7 million people in this, in, in this, in, uh, in Maricopa County, Phoenix mm-hmm. Metro? Sure. But then you got this real estate community, which is small. Yeah. And you got this wholesaling flipping community, which is tiny. Yeah. So talk to me about that. This this uh, retrading or like making offers that don't people don't honor. Like what is that? Yeah, I mean th- that stuff really bothers me. I mean I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm old school, but I've been doing this almost 17 years. Mm-hmm. Been around the block. I want to work with people that are solid. There's a very you know there's definitely a lot of players in this market. By no means am I the only buyer out here. Right. But I pride myself on saying I'm I'm always going to honor what I do, and that's why people will continue to endorse me, send me deals, or we'll work synergistically. You're here to, to you're something. here to continue working. You're Correct. not here for a fly by night. Correct. I'm not looking to get rich on one deal and, and adios. And I think that's super important. And I was telling Pace not too long ago, a wholesaler, new guy to the business, younger guy. And I respect these young guys. We all started when I was 21 years old, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're out there hustling, God bless you, but you're not knowing all about the real estate. A guy calls me on a deal. I bought his first deal. It's kind of a, you know, struggle process with him. But finally, we got the deal done. And I did what I said, closed on time, no retrading. Okay, great. So the guy knows I'm for real, just like I express. The next day he calls me up. He says, hey, I got this deal. It's 195000 it's in North Phoenix. I said, okay, sounds reasonable. Just want to come out there and walk it and see it. Just like always, give me 20 seconds myself in the property. When can you come? He says, I can be there in you know, an hour. I'm an hour away. I'm surprised looking at another deal. So I drive all the way out there. I get there, I walk through the house. I walk outside. He was asking 195. I said, I'm good at 195. You know, let's get the paperwork together. He goes, well, I'll let you know. I said, what do you mean you'll let me know? I just came out, I drove an hour, mm-hmm. and you, what do you mean you're gonna let me know? I've never even heard of such, I'm giving you full price. It's not like, I'd understand if I said 192, 185, 194. Okay, I'm not bringing you full price. You have other people, go for it. I understand the risk. But at that point, I spent an hour, basically two hours, because I'm driving there and back, to come out, evaluate the deal. I just bought another one from you. I've helped you and, and taught you some valuable lessons on the first flip and giving you information. And then I say, I don't understand. You're asking full price, I'm giving you full price. You'll let me know. He goes, I want to give other people an opportunity. I said, you're burning bridges right away. I said, I'm going to make this very clear, and I'm not trying to be a dick, but I can give you 60 seconds to kind of rethink what you're doing here. You can go show other people the property if you think I'm going to default, which is not going to happen, and put them in backup, but shake my hand right now, 60 seconds. Otherwise, and I'm not going to mention who this guy is. It doesn't, I don't even right, bash anybody. It's irrelevant. Yeah. But the point is the principle. It's like if you listed your home on the MLS for 200000 a cash buyer comes in and says, I'll give you 200000 you're not going to say, let me think about it. I'm going to wait for some other offers. You're mm-hmm. going to say, amazing, most rational people. Right. So the people that are trying to get greedy or you know create other relationships, maintain good relationships and you know from the ground floor. Otherwise, your reputation is going to be tarnished by real people doing deals. Right. It doesn't make any sense. So you probably know Brian Kingdesky, uh, another flipper in town. I but, don't know. Uh, he's got that same exact complaint. He's like, you send it to me at 200. Yeah. I told you I'm good at 200. Mm-hmm. What do you mean we don't have a deal yet? Right. 
it would be the same thing. Exactly. And, he, and it was the same exact thing. He's like, all right, I'm deleting your phone number. Like, Absolutely. I said, don't even call me. Like, honestly, like, you think I'm joking? Thankfully, I don't need to buy your deals. There's plenty of other real people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here to bash you. And I wish you the best of luck. But learn from this mistake. You know, it's right. like, again, I don't try and get, if I list a property and I love, this is a good uh, um, kind of takeaway as well. If I list a home and someone brings me a really good offer, um, you always even want to counter. It may not even be price, maybe a term. Let, let's do a shorter inspection period. Let's do something. Otherwise, they, uh, you get what's called buyer's remorse. I'm overpaying. If you jumped on that first offer, hypothetically, oh my God, I, I could have done better. The buyers, you know, I could have bought it for less. If you don't counter something, it's just strategically, you get again, maybe that buyer gets remorse if I have overpaid. Mm. Um, but again, it just, you know, enhance those great relationships, build, cultivate those good relationships. Well, that, and that's what, that's what works. That's what lasts. So, um, marketing, so zero marketing, right? The marketing really, I think was done from like building a house and the foundation. Um, you know, it's through just the years of, of solid relationships and execution and, and reputation. You can lose your reputation in one deal. You screw one person out here, yeah. as you know, it's a small wholesale market. You get one bad name, there's a couple bad names flowing around for right. business. Um, so you just wanna be on the good side of things. And and, and everyone, there's plenty of money to be made for everybody. There's, you know, no reason to fight on stuff or do dumb stuff or illegal activities. Um, my marketing is really just on execution and performing. It's really, I'm blessed now that because people see that I buy a lot of properties, mm-hmm. a lot of wholesalers or companies will actually come to me and say, hey, I see you bought X amount of properties. You know, are you interested in this? I bought a deal the other day. Guy says, hey, I have a home around the corner from the one you just bought. I'm a new wholesaler in town. Would you be interested? Like this is a talk about free marketing. I mean, just by doing deals, it's that domino effect uh, that keeps kind of giving back, which is yeah. great. And I know when I was pulling lists for a while to see who's buying properties, like your name definitely came up. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're you're uh, so you're not pulling down, you're not skip tracing, you're not cold calling. I'm not in competition with any wholesale guys. I want to buy from you. Let's be clear. I and do you're only in Phoenix. No, I buy in all over Maricopa County, so not okay. just Phoenix. So, uh, you but know, I mean, like Arizona. You're not in like Seattle or nope. Orlando, nothing nope. like that. There's a lot of companies, and I respect that. But mm-hmm. being just me, I don't have aspirations of getting ten zacks and whatever. I like to see it, feel it, touch it. Um, I mean, I worked on Wall Street for a little bit. And so I have this whole thing about the tangibility of real estate and just knowing that it's here. Stock market, you know, you get a, a whiff of a bad rumor and a stock, you lose 30% equity. I know that if I drive down the street, I can see my house, I have insurance on it. I feel good about it. Right. Uh, so the other part I found when I was doing some research is you're one of the top 10,000 CrossFitters in the world, <laughs> or you were. Let's, let's talk about that. I don't know about that quote. I was a decent, I, I got into coaching. I love, I have a huge thing about health and physical fitness. Mm-hmm. Any guy with all the money in the world, they give up all their wealth for good health. Yep. So I think kind of that's what I practice and preach, um, you know, eat healthy uh, 80% of the time. And um, I got into, I like competition. I used to do Ironman. So anytime that we can Ironman too. Wow. Okay. Anytime you could do something that sounds outrageous, count me in, you know? Yeah. Um, so my buddy says, hey, come on, we can compete every single day by throwing weights around like, what are you talking about? Sounds like fun. Got into that. And just like anything else, the cycle did that mm-hmm. for three or four years, got my coaching certificate. And oh, you, you were know, I was a coach. coach. I was a coach. And, okay. You know, enjoyed it. And then I, I moved away from the gym. The gym actually shut down. But mm-hmm. Actually, it was Brian Gubernick's gym. You know, Brian oh, Gubernick? Yeah, yeah. Kevin. So he had a gym with his partner, Derek. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had a great time. I actually did deals. Noah Brocious was a member of that gym. Oh, really? And Kevin. And yeah, I mean, it's just funny how and it goes back to the whole thing, getting yourself out of that comfort level and doing things outside of your you know, daily routine and asking the question, what are you doing? How can we do deals? You seem like a fun guy. If you're working out with somebody, you're throwing weights around and at the end yeah. of the day, you're laying around on the floor and you say, hey, let's go make some money together. There's nothing better than that. See, I did the CrossFit thing for a little bit. Yeah. It was too humbling, so I stopped. <laughs> of course was- it's humbling. There's always gonna be somebody who's better looking and stronger and oh, it fitter. Wasn't and it wasn't that, it was losing, cause you know, you got the, what was it called? Is it is it? The workout of the day, right? The, the WOTD. Yeah, the right? WOD. Yeah, the WOD. And every time I was like second to last. Like there was like these 50 year old women like finishing it before me. I was like, I just can't. This this ego cannot keep taking this abuse. It's, it's good for you. Listen, <laughs> if you're always the best and the smartest and the most fittest in the room, then uh, you're in the wrong environment. I didn't have to be the best. I just had to not be like the bottom fifth. It's okay. It's humbling. <laughs> it's definitely humbling. And I was too. I don't care, coach or no coach. I get my ass, you know, whooped yeah. too. But that's good because it makes you come back and work stronger and, you know, go from there. It's like losing a deal. You get pissed, but it's like I wake every day, mm-hmm. I wake up dead broke. You know, I go back to when I, you know, it was 2007, dirt poor. You wake up and you got to get moving, get out of bed and, you know, make your money. And so it's, it's a humbling experience. If you keep that mentality of that aggressiveness, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to do well. Oh, absolutely. I have that everywhere else. Just not in CrossFit or golf. Uh, so you went in 2009, you experienced 
or 2007, you experienced this dip, right? You've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah. What is your plan for if there's another recession? I mean, look, I hope that there's not. I mean, everyone always asks me, uh, should we start selling? If I knew everything, I'd be in Vegas on the pass line or, you know, on, on the blackjack table if I could forecast that. Yep. Um, I, I'm very um, confident about the future of Arizona. Um, we've got major companies, our, our population growth, our jobs, you know, everything, the numbers look good. Um, but again, the big litmus test is not just, you know, reading it in the news, it's secondhand information, it's already too late. Um, when I stop getting phone calls or people, you know, my tenants are moving out and there's no calls on sales, that's a pretty quick sign to start making some sort of modifications. Um, if there's a dip, you can always do what's called dollar cost average. So as prices come down, you're still getting good rental yields. You obviously buy into that market, which will average out your overall cost basis mm -hmm. for a long-term hold. So right. it's all about the stability. I would tell people that are over levered, you know, to, you know, take some money off the table. If you start sensing that, you know, not be greedy. Again, I, I know it's hard for people to compete at 16% or 18% money. You'd be nervous with any sort of uh, volatility, and most of these guys haven't experienced that. So you get arrogant. And I'm flipping. I'm making all this money, but again, they haven't experienced that that dip that we have. And so it gives me a different mindset again into what's my downside risk in any deal, even mm -hmm. if I have to hold this long term. And you weather the storm. If you would have held from 2007 to today, you'd actually be fine oh, as long do. as you could have weathered the storm. Right. Well, that was my house. I bought it in 2006. There you go. Finally over what I bought it for. Amazing. <laughs> and you've been paying down principal and writing off interest. and The whole time. So there you go. Stay uh, the course. What is your why? Um, what is my why? Um, hopefully one day for my the future of my, my offspring. I have some mm -hmm. kids and a wife and, you know, get back. I'm an advocate for charities and doing It's not just about myself. And someone's got a good cause. I'm a huge dog advocate and dog charities and things mm -hmm. like that. Handover Rover is one that I love. Um, but just to have fun and, and continue to build relationships and wake up every day and, you know, um, have fun and um, just keep doing what I'm doing. So we're talking about charities. This has not been formally announced yet, so maybe this would be kind of like an informal announcement. Okay. Uh, but we're looking at something possibly in July. We're doing a poker tournament. So uh, someone I know, uh, in my office we've got this Steph Curry jersey, right, a signed Steph Curry jersey that I won in a, in a, in a charity uh, event. And his goal this year is to raise 50000 for the, was it lymphoma and leukemia? Leukemia and lymphoma, yeah. There you go. And so his goal is to raise fifty. I was like, let's just do it in one event. Let's just do a poker. Count me in. Let's right? go. Let's we do get, it. If we get 100 people, we should get a bunch of real estate guys. It'd be fun, too. Well, yeah. So that's something to, 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 to keep on your radar. Count me in. Put it on the dates. I'll disseminate it. But no pros. We don't want any pros coming to this tournament. It's got to be amateur only. Well, I'm a failed poker player. Failed professional poker player. Uh -oh, so great. So that should be fine. Well, I You'll take my money. Hello, <laughs> so that's fine. Uh, what is your biggest struggle right now? Um, the struggle is always finding great deals. I mean, yeah, you know, you see a lot of deals, um, and a lot of times you get these distribution lists. But really, making good, sound business decisions to not just jump on something. There's one. You know, it's easy to buy a deal per se if you assume it's a deal, but you really want to underwrite it. And mm -hmm. especially when you're in a liquid position, the struggle is a uh, again the full underwriting to making your sound business decisions. Um, and finding quality, quality deals. I mean, deals are getting thinner. People are getting more, you know, people are spending a lot of money on marketing, so their margins are thinner. Everyone's trying to jack it up, so there's really no meat left on the bone. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of stepping back and making sure that you're deploying good money. You're not just chasing deals, making sound business decisions. I would say it's kind of the biggest issue. It's always about the deal and finding quality deals. You can buy something and you make, you know, 7%, 6%. And I've done some of that just to keep kind of the crews busy and make sure mm -hmm. that they're, you know, continuing on, which is important. Is that retention um, but it's really about the quality of the deal on uh, the underwriting standpoint and what is your superpower execution you know um, and enhancing other people's relationships I'll make anyone you know look great and continue to grow your business so in other words if you bring me a deal wholesale and now I'm interfacing with the owner because I'm the end-user buyer and they say hey my cousin for example uh, they want to sell their house I'm not going to buy your cousin's house. I'm going to make sure that you who brought me this deal goes by as the cousin's house because mm. I want to continue that relationship. That's where it originated. And there's a lot of times, too, my superpower is the loyalty, execution and loyalty. So if, you know, somebody brings me a deal and they make an, an introduction to somebody else, and that introduction and that guy wants to sell me a house direct, I'm going to make sure that that guy is going to get paid because you've originated that relationship. Yeah. And that's few and far between. So I would say the loyalty, the transparency, the execution. Like if I tell you, hey, I'm going to be here, um, you know, uh, over deliver and under promise, you know, just get it done. Do you have a CRM for all this or is this all in your head? It's all in my head. Yeah. I swear to God. 
yeah, my, my head is, you know, sometimes I have a problem sleeping. It's all in the head. <laughs> uh, what is the greatest lesson you've learned? Um, not to be greedy. Um, you know, we saw, again, going through and uh, having navigated the volatility in the waters and, and knowing that things can happen um, overnight and change the trajectory and pace. Um, you know, when there's a good deal at hand, like going back to that wholesale deal, here's full price, take the deal, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, again, if I get good offers on properties next, you know, leave some money on the table, yeah. make sure that everybody in that deal comes out ahead, the agent, the buyer, yourself, if everyone in that room and it's a, you know, a zero sum game, somebody loses, it's not a good deal. So yeah. every deal that I do, I want it to be a win, win, win for everybody. Involved. Right. If everyone's not winning, they're not coming back. No, I want, I want repeat customers you know right. we're, we're in this for the long haul if we're having fun you know i want to buy deals with you for the next 50 years you right. know let's do it <laughs> uh so what's your favorite best or most interesting uh failure uh most interesting failure um we've all had a lot of them um i would say um i guess trusting um in a previous partnership you know um not really documenting uh, an operating agreement. You know, I've invested in some alternative businesses. You get arrogant and think, okay, I'm making money in this niche. Um, so just like in anything else in Arizona, statue of frauds, write it out, execute it, get a solid documentation to protect yourself, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate you can't trust everybody and not everyone is, you know, a person of their word. Um, but document um, everything so you're protected in case of, you know, um, default by the other party, yeah. you know? so. That hurts your core because if you know it's a good friend or it's a family member and you're investing with them and all of a sudden it's taken away from you i mean that's a gut check quickly of like wait a second i thought everything was good you're stopping a distribution payment or whatever it is you know and um so unfortunately moving forward with any deals i did it's all about the documentation i mean right. I, I talk about the guy who invested a lot of money in my business before i mean the guy had DNA samples of me, background checks. I'm like, geez, I'm spending 20,000 with an attorney. We haven't even done a deal yet. <laughs> and times are, you know, this is 2010 or whatever it is with this investor. I'm like, I sure hope this guy invests in the company. He's going deep. My attorney's spending all this time and energy. But of course you build a proper foundation and protocols and everything else follows. All right. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's a huge takeaway is trust people, but protect yourself, you know, do things in writing, don't do any of these verbal arrangements and make yeah. sure that you're fully protected to mitigate risk. Yeah, and that's one of the unfortunate things, right? Because I'm a handshake guy. I am uh, too. I but, if I tell you something. Yeah. But you got to document it because when shit hits the fan, people's memories change. They sure do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great point. Money's on the table. You could be the best friend in the world. Mm -hmm. I have money on the table and it's the same thing. It's like they're greedy and you're not. Or again, I wouldn't, another takeaway is I wouldn't necessarily buy um, rentals or deals with buddies because you never know your utility. You want to sell, they want to hold, you're at a standstill, they get a divorce. There's too many intervening variables. You want to cross collateralize, but now you need two signatures. It screws up everything. I would tell anyone just to do the deals on their own or have some sort of just capital partnership with somebody and that's it because it gives you the most flexibility in terms of a disposition uh, strategy. Right. Is there a book that you've gifted more than any other? Is there a book that what? You've gifted more than any other. No, I mean, it's funny. My dad laughs at me, thinks I'm illiterate. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm out in the field. I'm kind of just learning, you know, I probably read two books my entire life. I'm yeah. just out doing, I like to do deals. I'm just right. a street learner. I went to business school and I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit, but I, you know, and I respect all these people, these good books and this mm -hmm. and that, but I'm not a reader. I'm more of a doer. I got to yeah. tell you, I get antsy. If I'm sitting there, my mind's thinking about deals. I'd rather be underwriting properties and looking at stuff than Your branch than is always going 100 miles an hour. 100 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. Is there any one thing you want to leave the listeners with? I mean, I put a couple notes. Let's see if we, we talked about some stuff. Um, definitely stay humble. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of people, you, you get a, a, some su success in this business and it's easy to get arrogant and get, you know, all these material things and promote all that. No one cares about that stuff. Be humble, be real, mm -hmm. you know, make sure that, you know, like I said, everyone's coming out ahead. Um, you don't want to be driving fancy cars to buy houses. People are going to say that, you know, uh, you're underpaying when you roll up in your sports car. You know, mm -hmm. again, I've had a, a home investor guy call me the other day. Hey, you want to buy my um, Tesla? I said, no, I can't be driving any Tesla. I'm driving my <laughs> Prius, you know, it's more beat up than that Tesla. So again, stay humble. Um, you always want to leverage all your title, your realtor relationships and your banking relationships to have the ammunition um, to execute. Um, 
and always think outside the box. I mean, we talked on this briefly, it's all about the consultative selling. It's not mm-hmm. just about what you can buy the house for. How can you make that seller a winner and, and, and tap on all their emotional, uh, tangible and intangible needs, and then cultivate a consultative deal that's right. again mutually beneficial. Um, don't buy sight unseen, as we spoke about. Um, and again, if um, look at look at the macro picture of things. I think in this business, people say, and you ask me before, how do you manage all these homes without going crazy? I mean, it's easy to get caught up and you, know, you have a broken AC, you have a water heater, you could get stressed out about little things, but you have to look at the macro picture and things and kind of step back from it. Mm-hmm. When you're in the forest, it's hard to see the trees. So when you kind of step back and you have that broader vision, if you have 150 stock portfolio and three or four, even 10 of your stocks suck, but 140 are doing really well, you're in a very good position. Awesome it's position. easy to focus on those 10 or whatever that suck or went down that day. But if your other ones are really performing, again, macro perspective and your portfolio is continuing to appreciate, you're in a good position. So try not to focus on you know those little hardships or overcome them through, and to me, it's exercise or whatever you're th- reading or whatever works for you. But again, you don't want to let that fully penetrate you and mm-hmm. have this negative aura. So if you stay positive and optimistic about the macro picture of things, you can work through those temporary hardships. Awesome. I think that's that's a great place to end. So obviously you're a buyer, right? Cash buyer. Cash buyer. Someone wants to send you a deal. How should they send you a deal? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, best way is texting me. Uh, I'm at 602-405-ZACK, 602-405-ZACK, 9225. Um, text or email at zkeeps at gmail.com. That's K's and Katie, Edward, Paul, Edward, Samuel at gmail.com. Um, but again, if you have a deal, text me an address, a price, it's the pictures, and I'll give you an answer whether it's feasible the same day. And if it looks good, come out and see it for 20 seconds. Love to, you know, build some more deals with you. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And guys, if you want a copy of our script or assignment contract, go to realestatedisruptors.com, opt in, and my assistant will send you what we use. And again, if you do like this show, please share this episode right now because the rising tide does lift all boats. This is not a scarcity uh, market. This is an abundant mar- uh, market. Everyone here is is helping each other. It's it's crazy in in Phoenix. I, it's how how much giving back there is. Um, so with that, uh, I think this is a great place to end it. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you guys for watching. This was awesome and learned a lot. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you.